1 John chapter 1. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, period, at all, we'd love to give you one. So if you can find one in the pews or back here in the basket, just take it. You can have it for free. We'd love you to have it. This is the message we have heard from him, Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the scripture bears your authority. And God, we thank you that you've spoken to us and continue to speak to us by your word. God, I pray that you would help me to speak in accordance with your word. And I pray that you'd help all of us to have our hearts laid bare before you, that our hearts would be stirred to love you and our lives would be lives that reflect your goodness and your kindness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in a series uh, for the next few weeks, for the previous few weeks and, and a few more weeks, about why we do what we do. And last week we talked about the sacraments. We talked about baptism and communion, about why we do these things. And you know, if you've been to Valley Hope, that we come to this table every week. And before we come to the table every week, we confess our sin together. And so this morning we're talking about why we confess our sin. Why do we corporately confess our sin? Why do we privately confess our sin? Why do we confess our sin to one another? For many people, you may have grown up in a church that did not do that on a regular basis. Some of you grew up in many churches where that was just normal. This is an expected part of the liturgy. I grew up in a church where we did not do that. I, of course, knew that you're supposed to confess your sin. I've like read this Bible verse before. It's pretty clear on that. But we did not corporately, regularly confess our sin. But if you look at the forms of Christian worship for 2,000 years, even in the last 500 years in which we've split off down in many different ways, Christian liturgy makes space for this every week to do this together. So my church that I grew up in was 
the weirdo group, which I probably could have told you that anyway. We were the weirdos for not doing this. But if you've never thought about it before, it's important to think about why maybe you've grown up doing this. And if you are an outsider, if you're saying every week these people stand in a room together and say these things together, the same words out loud, how meaningful can this possibly be as a corporate exercise? All these people are living all kinds of different lives. How can this thing be the thing that they need to pray together? The short answer to this question, why do we do this, is because we sin, period, and I can sit down. This is the shortest sermon on record, but I'm going to give you a little bit more than that because, well, that's my job. We confess our sin together, yes, because we need to. When we come to worship here, we do not come to an event this is not a concert. This is not a production. I am not providing entertainment for you. I am not providing something to fill you up. That's the language that I sort of used when I grew up in church. Man, that, whatever, that blessed me, that filled me up. Whatever all that Christianese you wanna use, that felt good. I'm ready for my week. I am recharged. That is not why we are here. Those things happen. That's good. I'm not opposed to you leaving church and feeling good. That's great. That's wonderful. We are here to worship God. This is a worship service. Primarily, the task that we, not me, we are involved in as the people of God are to worship God, to give him what he deserves. God is present with us. This incredible, unexpected, and unseen truth is what gathers us here. And the reality that we have to reckon with any time that we are meeting with God, engaging with God, is that God is holy. God is your friend and mine. That's biblical. That's a good thing. But God is a friend in a way that no other friend is a friend of mine. God is not my peer. He is not my equal. He is not the feelings that I feel inside of me. God is the only sovereign creator and sustainer of the entire universe. In him, there is no imperfection or flaw. When we pray like we just did, that there is no unchanging piece of his being like we just did. We are saying God is entirely different from us. And so when we come to worship him, what we have to acknowledge and say together is by nature, there is an incredible gulf between God and me. And if I treat God like my buddy, just treat God as if we are equals, if we are peers, as if we see eye to eye, there is a real 
problem. Sin is disastrous. It is catastrophic. It is a horror in your life and in mine. Sin will, does, actively destroy you. We tend in our day and time to see sin as infractions of rules, as basically mistakes that we all make. Everybody mistake, makes mistakes. What's the big deal? Do not hold this way of thinking in your mind and let it leach into your heart. Sin is horrible. It will poison your soul and drag you down into the depths of hell. And that is not waiting for you after you die. It is acting upon you now. Jesus speaks in the frankest of terms. The devil is a liar and a murderer, and he's coming to steal and to kill and destroy, not someday in the future. Currently, the scriptures say he is prowling around like a lion, crouching at your doorstep, ready to devour you. That is sin. Sin is not a mistake that you make, and everybody makes mistakes. Sin is the power and the presence of death that you and I make our home and our comfort with. Allying ourselves against the very king of heaven and earth. Sin is grievous. It is awful. And when the people of God come in to the presence of God who has made us his people, we of all people should be ones quickest to acknowledge, to see the power of sin, how deeply offensive it is, how dangerous it is, how much it should make us sorrowful. We of all people should be the ones to raise our hands and say, we have sinned against God. We see it, we feel it, we hear it, and we respond to it out loud together. We have sinned against God. Now, this spirit of confession is in what this text says in 1 John. John is saying, you cannot pretend that you do not have sin. There is nobody exempt if you think I do not have sin. And you can have that mindset and mentality whether you are a Christian or whether you are not. You can live in such a way in the pride of your heart and say, I don't have anything to be sorry for. I have no sin. And John says, if you have that idea in your heart, speak that with your mouth. You make Jesus a liar. You are a liar. You have sinned. And it is a deep problem. You cannot say that you are under Christ, you are in Jesus, and then walk however you want. 
Do not live a duplicitous life, a life of acting, a life of hypocrisy, and live your own way while putting Jesus' name on top of it. That does not fly. Now, our attitudes can go wrong in a number of ways as we deal with sin. For many people, there is an attitude of defiance. I have nothing to apologize for. Those people might. They have done me wrong. I have nothing to apologize for. Now, most people are self-aware enough to say, I am not perfect. O only a fool would truly, like, rationally say, yes, I'm a perfect person. I've done nothing wrong. So the, the version of defiance you're more likely to find yourself in is say, yes, I, I am wrong about these things. But over here, I have no wrong. I have been sinned against but I have not sinned. You, you fence off portions of your heart and say that the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the speaking of God's mouth, does not pertain to this portion of my life. I experience this regularly, particularly when I argue with my wife. I am willing at other times and places Say, of course I am sinful. Of course I have, I have wronged. And I can provide you a list, but in the moment of the disagreement, I cannot pry open my jaws and say, I was wrong. I have sinned. Will you forgive me? Because in that moment, what I defiantly demand is that I win and that she loses and that I appear victorious. I'm not blaming my wife. I'm blaming me. After the fact, in the moment, I blame my wife. <laughs> now, your defiance may be circumstantial like mine. It may be in the moment that that brings that out of you. But it also could be that as you survey your life, you say, I will not allow God to speak to me on this issue. I will not let him how to tell me how to spend my money. I will not tell him how I ought to make friends and to love my neighbor. I will not tell me, let him tell me how I ought to use my sexuality. I will not let him tell me X, Y, and Z. Now, you may not explicitly say that out loud or in your mind, but you, if you think back, if you have experienced in various areas of your life no conviction, if God has not convicted you in this particular area of your life for a long, long, long time, it is worth considering whether God is not speaking or whether you have refused to listen. Do not act in defiance against God. That's dangerous. Another attitude that is easy to fall into and is quite understandable is ignorance. You simply do not know 
what it is you ought to do. A lot of us, by nature, rely upon how we feel about a particular thing that we're doing. And what I'm here to tell you is, your feelings are often helpful and often wrong. In the moment with my wife, I believe I am justified. I believe and I feel that I am right. And when I actually exchange with my wife and get over my defiance, I find oftentimes there is an entire set of facts and information that I simply did not know. And I am obligated to respond and to repent. And for you and I, this is an ordinary part of being human. You may not understand or feel rightly what it is that you have done wrong and sinned in. Fortunately, God has not left you in darkness. He has provided you with help. It is primarily this right here. God speaks to you in his word. And careful attention and submission to his word opens you up to instruction in realms that you had previously not known. God does not will for you to live in ignorance and in the dark. He wants you to live in the light. As John has said, Christ Jesus is in the light. He wants you to walk in the light. And he is not trusting to you by your own internal compass to just know where the light is or to know what is right is wrong. That sense, that tuning will improve and get better as you get better at keeping your eyes on Jesus. But sometimes you just need to open your Bible and hear the message shouting to you in the darkness, hey, buddy, you're just wrong. You didn't know it, but you're so far off track here. And in that moment, the response is to, to confess your sin. I did not know, but now I know, and I have sinned against God. Defiance and ignorance. And I think that if you are like me, this other voice, this other attitude is very familiar to you. The voice of shame. It is not that you are unaware of your sin. It is not that you do not believe you have sinned. It is that you hear the voice of shame that says, I can never, ever bring this to the light. Surely, I cannot be loved by God or by others if I've ever spoke this aloud. And so you run. You find the deepest, darkest corner of your heart and you take it into the darkest hole beneath your house and you bury it there and you hope that no one ever sees or finds you. This is the natural inclination to knowing that you have sinned. If he can, the devil will be happy to keep you defiant or ignorant. 
But if you suddenly know, he will get you to do the next best thing, which is to hide in the garden from the voice of the creator who calls your name. The power of shame wants you alone and isolated and dying. And I'm confident there are people in this room, potentially everyone, who personally and maybe even presently knows the power of shame. You are bound by it. It is the dominant element of your spiritual life, the control and management of your shame. And I'm telling you, the voice that is speaking to you every single day saying, tell no one is not your friend. You are not safer in the darkness. You have never been in more danger. That hiding will not keep you safe. It will kill you. And I bet if you've been playing in the, the playpen of shame for long enough, you already know it. We confess our sin regularly and corporately because we believe that the power of sin will ruin you, but regularly doing what the scriptures command, confessing your sin, pushes back against and destroys these terrible attitudes. Defiance, ignorance, and shame are destroyed by a regular practice of confession of sin. When you are in the habit of telling out loud, telling God and saying with the whole room, I have sinned against God, it is difficult for you to believe that there is any portion of your life that is exempt from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When you discipline yourself, when we discipline ourselves to say these words regularly, I have sinned against God. We are not a self-hating people with a self-esteem problem. We are people telling the truth about ourselves. And so we are corporately saying together, there is no segment of my life where I should be where I should be surprised if God speaks and convicts me of sin. If we regularly confess our sin together, we should be prepared for God to speak to us in our ignorance and bring us from the darkness and into the light. And if we regularly confess our sin together, we see the power of shame broken. Because what you begin to experience is the undoing and the untelling of all the lies that shame has told you. When we together bring all of our garbage into the light, name it for what it is, say that it is an offensive sin against God, and see in the quietness of that moment that no rocks have flown our way, no lightning has fallen from the sky. 
we finally begin to hear the truth. I was lied to this whole time. I was told by the voice of shame that if I, if I confessed my sin, I could not be loved. And here I am, alive, confessing and being loved. Because this is what John says in his epistle. When you sin, not if, when you sin, when you confess your sin, God is faithful. And he is just to forgive your sin. God is faithful and because of what he has done on the cross. It is the right and just thing for God to forgive you. Because of the work of Jesus, the right thing for God to do is to look on you and to forgive you of all of your sins. When you are caught in sin, not if, you will see that Jesus Christ is, as John says, your advocate. When, when I am sinned against in big or small ways, I am not by nature the advocate of the person who has sinned against me. I am often by nature the accuser. You have done this to me. You must pay this penalty to me. I will not forgive you until you have suffered to some degree for what you have done to me. And so I expect on the other side of my confession. By nature, my expectation is God will be like me. And what I hear every single time we confess our sins together is the gospel. That God is nothing like me. He is so much better than me. Where I would be withholding, he is generous. Where I would be spiteful, he is kind. Where I would withhold until you have paid the price to me, he receives me and says again and again, the price has been paid. Where I might put you in time out until I can muster up enough belief to accept you back into my life, the father throws his arms wide open and says, my son, my daughter has come home. The father is far more generous than you can imagine. And so we regularly confess our sins together that we might regularly together hear the gospel again and again and again that God is better than you can hope for. Last week we talked about how the ends of the sacraments are pointing us to one reality, unity, union with God. 
And when we confess our sins, we see that the Lord Jesus himself has conquered every single obstacle between us and that end. That everything that would rip us out of the divine life, God has put his cross through the heart of it. So we are a confessing people together. We say together out loud every single week that we are a people who have sinned. We say that we have sinned individually. When we confess out loud, I am acknowledging my own personal sin and we have sinned corporately. We have failed to love our neighbors as we ought. We have done what we should not do together. We as a people are not just individuals who have received the mercy of God. We as a people, as a congregation, as a church have received the mercy of God. You and I ought to be freely confessing our sin all the time, not in a spirit of self-hatred and self-punishment, but because we want to run to the Father. We are a prodigal people. And every time you repent and you confess your sin, it is not out of horror that you turn and face God, but out of relief. No longer does sin have to hold its grasp on me. I feel so naturally ashamed for what I've done. But the moment of repentance is not a moment of shame. It is a moment of freedom. The Father has seen me in my sin, in the depths of my darkness, and has said, I will love you forever. I will put my name on you, and I will not remove it. I have seen you from the beginning until the end, and I will love you into eternity and beyond. Confession is not self-punishment. Confession is deliverance. You and I should regularly confess our sins, privately, every day, confessing your sin before God. Let him say, as the psalmist teaches to say, search me and know me, try me, vindicate me and cleanse me from the inside out. You should have friends that you regularly name your sin with. Tell them the things that you cannot say out loud in the few moments that we're about to have together. Have friends that you look in the eye and say, I have sinned in this way. So they can look you in the eye and say, to you, God has delivered his mercy. And the gospel is good news for you today, just as it was yesterday. And we will continue to confess our sin together here. Because we are here to worship God. We are here for God. We are not here for a pep talk. We are not here for a show. We are here together to worship the living God. And before we feast on the fruits of the union with Christ that God has won for us, we will acknowledge all of the ways that we had thought we disqualified ourselves and we will hear the gospel together. We will hear God say, I am here with my people and I have forgiven them. I have set them free. And I've delivered them into my goodness now and forever. People of God, we confess our sin because God is good. 
He is our holy and righteous God. And he is profoundly good to all of his people. If you are here today and you know that you are withholding from God, that you have said, I will not hear from God on this subject. Today, God is meeting your defiance with the cross. And he says, I put my claim on the whole of your life. And I will be better to you than whatever it is you are withholding from me. Repent today and come home. If you are here today and you have lived your life in ignorance, not really aware of what it is that God has called you to do, you can come and confess your sin to God. And in his mercy, what he will say to you is that Jesus is sufficient even for the sins that you are not even aware you have committed. That even in your ignorance, he is your advocate. And if you are here today buried in shame, God has put this word before you today that you would be set free. Stop hiding from him. It is not keeping you safe. It is killing you. And he loves you. He's seen all of the darkness already. And if you would turn and you would call to him, he is faithful. And he is just to forgive your sin and to forever be your advocate. If you have never, ever turned to Jesus to deal with the darkest things of your soul, today for you is the day. It's not another day. It's not, it's not a day where you'll be better. It's not going to happen. Today is the day. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, but respond and be freed by the good and holy God who stands before you. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love and your kindness that far exceeds our own. All the places where we have defiantly opposed you Places we have vowed to ignore your voice are places where you have come to do good to us, not to deliver a hand of punishment, but a hand of deliverance. And we are so sorry for divinely opposing you. God, we confess that we have often be, been ignorant, blind to our own sin, and yet you have had pity on us as your own children. You've dealt mercifully with us. God, we have listened to the voice of shame and hidden from you and everyone else the thing that is corroding us from the inside out. God, today we turn to you and ask for deliverance. Father, I pray for those who have never put their trust in you, who have maybe come here because somebody invited them or because they wanted to try something new or different, God, I pray that today they would hear in this call to confession, not a call to the whip, but a call to the Father's house. And Father, I pray that you, by your spirit, would soften their heart 
and help them, make them able to believe what was unbelievable until now. Jesus, we thank you that we can see your love and your kindness towards us. And we can trust that the cross speaks to us as well. We love you and we are so grateful to you this morning. Move us, God. Move us towards you and the freedom that we find in you alone. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.